Well, uh, thank you to um, so many of you. I, I want to say that um, so many of you have reached out to me um, through text and um, checked on me. I had a bad car accident Thursday afternoon, and um, so I'm just thankful. You know, so many of you of our church family has sent text or uh, you know saw that picture on Facebook and commented and. I uh, hope that I f- I'm feeling well. I- I'm making it. I'm I'm here this morning. So um, it's been a it's been a foggy couple days. Um, so we'll see how today goes. Right? We're just you know we're gonna see how it goes. Um, but I'm so thankful this morning to to share with you and to get a chance to uh, to talk. I want to share a story with you. And and maybe you've heard this before um, from me. I, you know, it's one of those things that the longer you're in ministry, the more you forget where you've told certain stories. Um, so maybe you've heard this story from me, maybe you haven't, I don't know. Uh, but one time in college, uh, we used to go uh, every so often to a friend's. I went to Lipscomb in Nashville, and we would go every so often to a friend's farm out in Murfreesboro. And we would go out there and, you know, do guy things, break stuff, and, you know, just get dirty and do, do dude stuff, right? Um, well, his family lived out there, and uh, usually when we would go there, if we spent the night uh, or if we just went out there for the morning, we would always stop by his granny's home uh, uh, on the way back to Nashville for uh, Saturday afternoon lunch. And his grandma would cook like, you know, like good grannies do. I mean, there'd be maybe five or six guys, uh, his grandma, his aunts, his uncles, his parents. Um, so, you know, 12, you know, but she'd cook for like 50 people, right? I mean, just food after food. There'd be like three different meats, and I'm just like, all right, well, I'll eat as much as I can. I don't know where I'm going to put it, but I will eat it all. So one time we were over there, and we were eating, and uh, we, I mean, I stuffed myself full, and we get to dessert. And I'm not a huge dessert guy, uh, but there are certain desserts that I like. Uh, so she starts to list the desserts. She says, we've got like brownies. I'm like, eh, not much of a brownie guy. She had like an apple crisp thing. I was like, eh, I'm not in the mood for that. But then she says, I've got banana pudding. I'm like, oh yeah, banana pudding. Um, Steve Kahn would know what I'm talking about. You know, banana pudding is one of my favorite desserts. So I get all excited. And I'm... I, this matters. I just want you to know, I make a big deal about how much I love banana pudding, like in front of her. I just make a huge deal about it. So she goes in the kitchen, and like good grannies do, she doesn't bring me like a little cup of banana pudding. She brings me like a huge, like almost mixing bowl size, like thing of banana pudding. And I'm just like, oh, this is so exciting. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. And so she gives it to me, and I, I, I get my spoon, and I'm like, yeah. And so I put it to my lips, and I'm like, Uh uh-oh, there's something wrong. It was warm, you guys. Like, who makes warm banana pudding? I've never had warm banana pudding in my life. You make it, you put it in the refrigerator, you eat it later, okay? And I, you know, my friend immediately saw in my face that there was something wrong. And I was just, I'm like, oh no, I have to eat this whole bowl full of gross, warm sludge. And and so I do the best I can to kind of you know, put it to my mouth and eat it. But I do what like a 10-year-old does where you just kind of smush it to one side of the bowl or plate so that when she looks at it, you think, she thinks I ate a lot of it. And he goes, Is there, you don't like it? And I was like, it's warm and gross. And he's like, I'm sorry. So, um, but I told Granny it was delicious and wonderful. But, you know, it was one of those moments where um, it was failed expectations, right? 
Failed expectations. We all know what those are. Uh, we've gone through, many of us in this room who are um, older than, um, you know, a, a child, we've gone through these moments where you get your hopes built up and you're excited about something and it just, you know, gets dashed upon the rocks and the expectations of what you thought get failed. Um, maybe, you know, you're, you're familiar with this. You know, Tennessee fans, you've had some failed expectations, <laughs> right? You know? You know, he went to Alabama and lost the championship, so, you know, whatever. Yeah, but listen, I'm not going to make fun of just Tennessee fans. We've had some failed expectations, too. As a Florida fan, these guys, jokers. Uh, but, you know, you know what I mean. Failed expectations. Uh, maybe it was if you were, remember your, your dating lives, you know, maybe it was you wanted to date that guy, that girl, and, you know, they just hung the moon, but then you went out on your first date, and they were just like a mouth opening, breathing, chewing, nasty person, you're like, never again, right? It was just a failed expectation. Or maybe you had high hopes for a certain life choice, a job, and it just didn't work out the way that you wanted it to. Uh, maybe it was, you know, you were excited about a new book or a TV show or a new movie that came out, you know, Endgame, right? It was awesome. I'm just going to say Avengers Endgame was awesome. It lives up to the hype. No, no spoilers, no spoilers. Um, but it was really good. Um, but listen, all of our teens right now, they've got their life figured out, right? Our graduates that were up here, they've got it figured out. I told you where they want to go to school, what they want to do, and what they want to be with their life. But listen, those expectations, they may not live up to the hype. They may be failed and they may fail you. I'm going to get these ugly guys off the screen. There we go. Um, but, you know, that's just the way life goes, right? You have these expectations, these things that we look forward to, these things that let us down, leave us feeling sad, frustrated, vulnerable. Uh, we put our emotions out there. We get our hopes up, and they get um, just ruined by failed expectations. And I'm sure we all have those moments that, uh, more moments than we're willing to admit because when they happen to us, when those moments happen to us, what do we do? We, we tuck them down deep inside. We don't talk about them. We just bury them deep. And then while we're trying to get to sleep at night, our brain says, hey, let's bring up that thing that you failed or that moment that was so tough that you were so excited about. And you, and you stay up all night thinking about it, right? Or am I just the only one? I, I don't think that I am. Um, this last few months or last month or so, um, Chris has been going through this series called God Is. And we've been talking about some things we don't normally talk about in church. Um, some things about who God is and what God does. And um, kind of trying to narrow our focus into who this big God is that we uh, serve. And for some of us, you know, the expectations we place on God get uh, dashed upon the rocks as well. We, uh, we have this image of who we think God is and sometimes that image fails us. And it doesn't live up to the hype. And I think one of those unspeakable failed expectations is for some of us our walk with Jesus. Um, truth be told, I think for some of us our walk with Jesus isn't what we think it's supposed to be. It doesn't maybe live up to the hype. I would say that if you ask the common unbeliever, and oftentimes many believers, what is Christianity? What is your relationship with Jesus like. And what they'll say and what unbelievers will say about us is, well, you know, first you believe in Jesus. That's important. Um, then you go to church. That's important. Then you be good, right? We don't sin. That's, you know, that's important. 
And then we help people. Um, And while all those things I think are good, if that's all Christianity is to us, is coming to church, trying to be good and occasionally help people, um, I feel like we're missing out on maybe a lot more than what it really means to be a Jesus person. I feel like we're missing out on a lot more. Um, So I found some statistics that I think are rather uh, telling about this. Um, The Barner Group, if you're familiar with, does um, studies and uh, they take surveys and they try to kind of put some statistics and numbers to uh, Christianity and religion. And um, I found this way back in in 2011, um, but I think it still holds true. And I've seen some stuff that um, more recently that that speak kind of the same things that I'm talking about. I mean, you may want to write these down because they're not going to be on the screen just to kind of follow along. Um, But I, I think here in America, for Christianity, it may not be living up to people's expectations. Um, the survey says this, 81% of self-identified Christian adults say that they have made a personal commitment to Jesus that is still important in their life today. All right, So 81% of people who have made a commitment to Jesus say that that commitment is still important in their life today. That's pretty good, 81%. Um, you know, that 19%, you know, that's the people we're trying to reach, right? To uh, get them to still think that Jesus is important. Yet, and listen, this is where it gets crazy. Less than one out of five Christians, that's about 18%, claim to be totally committed to investing, their own, into investing in their own spiritual development. So, if you're sitting on a row with five people, only one of you is committed to your spiritual development. Out of 81% of people who say, you know, Jesus is important to me, only 18% of those people are committed to spiritual development. And about the same proportion, 22%, claim to be completely dependent upon God. Now, I don't know about you, but if you claim to be a Jesus person, you kind of have to be committed totally and be totally dependent upon God, right? Isn't that kind of what Jesus says? Like, If you're going to follow me, you need to be totally dependent on God. But only 22% of Christians claim to be totally dependent upon God. So those figures help explain why a majority of self-identified Christian adults, 52% believe, and this is from the Barner Group, 52% of adult Christians believe that there is much more to the Christian life than what they have experienced. So just over half of the people in America that say that they're Christian, think that Christianity isn't living up to its expectation for them. Man, that's a sobering thought. That over half of you possibly in this audience, you come to church every Sunday or Wednesday, but this whole Christian life, it's just not, man, you're asking, is it it worth it? Is there more to it? And I'll be honest, I think that's a question that I've asked before. Is there more to church life? Is there more to being a Jesus person than just coming to church and trying to be good and trying to help people and say that I believe in Jesus? I think there's more to it. Uh, We're going to look at John chapter 10 today. If you would, um, open your Bibles. I'm going to scale through these ugly guys. Uh, Open your Bibles to John chapter 10. Jesus has been talking here. Um, This is shortly after uh, Jesus has healed a blind man. 
Um, and then he goes to the uh, religious leaders and they, you know, give him some grief about being um, healed now and they, they, they give him a hard time about it. You can read all about that in chapter 9. Um, Jesus hears about it and he begins to call the, the, the believers, those who followers of God, the, the religious leaders of the time, he, call, he starts to talk about them being spiritually blind. And I think maybe, you know, according to some of these statistics, maybe some of us are spiritually blind. We're not getting what Jesus is really offering us. So, he gets into chapter 10, and uh, we're going to start there in verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. I love that John does that. He always, like, lets you in, you know. John writes this uh, many years after his time with Jesus, and he's reflecting on it, and he's just, he's thinking, man, we just did not get it. So I want to make sure that as people read this and tell this story over and over, I want them to know that we didn't get it. And so Jesus had to explain it to us some more. So continuing on. So Jesus again said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, and all those who come, all, all who come, came before me, excuse me, are thieves and bandits. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever is entered by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to destroy, steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they may have life and have it to the full. Or maybe your version says more abundantly. So what is Jesus' offer here? What is this life that we get as Jesus people? Is it a life of, of servitude and a life of uh, routine, just coming to church, trying to be good, and trying to help people? Or is it something different? I think I get from this verse, and, and, and this is one of uh, this verse that I've heard over and over and over again throughout the years. This is one of my youth minister's like, favorite things. So he would always tell us, John 10, 10, B. And he would tell us, the thief comes only to kill, or to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And man, that's what it's all about, this life to the full. And that's what Jesus is offering us. And I think um, maybe that's where it gets a little, a little um, confusing. Because sometimes what we seem to offer people is Christianity and church and morals, but we're not offering them a full life, a new life changed in Jesus. So it works a little bit like this. Um, my two guys who are going to help me, um, if you would, come get this um, prop for me. What's a youth minister's lesson without a good prop, right? Um, so they're going to get this prop for me because I don't need to lift it. Um, and um, at least I, I hope you will track with this, I don't know, analogy illustration, whatever. Um, but this is the way it works in my mind, and this is the way I try to accept. Put the big steps facing me, if you would. Um, that would be helpful. And like, not put it, not, don't put it on the edge so I fall off if I get on it. 
Um, that would be helpful as well. Open it all the way up. Thank you, guys. Now give them a round of applause. They're so helpful. Fine young gentlemen. Fine young gentlemen. Uh, but this is the way I think about it. Um, I don't think um, it, it looks um, like the way it should. So what's going on um, in our experience with Christianity? Does it, does it look like this abundant life? When you think of your life as a Christian, do you think, man, my life is full and my life is abundant and this is what um, it was all about? Um, and I'm not talking about our stuff. You know, I think sometimes we equate stuff and the, uh, the, the, the things we buy and having nice houses and stuff with being a full, abundant life. But that's not what Jesus is talking about either. So I want you to remember back um, to the day that you accepted Jesus and you were baptized. Um, for most of us, if not all of us, it was maybe an emotional, incredible day, right? I remember my baptism. I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. Um, I, you know, I look all tough, but I'm really a baby. Um, but, uh, but I, man, it was just an emotional experience. And um, I remember being baptized and coming up out of it. And I was like, this is it. This is going to be the best life ever. Um, but then, you know, what happens, right? We go home. We go to work. We fight with our spouses. We fight with our siblings. We fight with our parents. Uh, we fight with people at work. And regular life begins to set in. Um, and the full life that we were expecting begins to kind of crumble away. And we're thought, like, Jesus, you're supposed to fix all this stuff, and it's supposed to be better, and my life's supposed to be full and abundant. Um, and we maybe begin to wonder if that full of life that Jesus has promised us has gone away. So I think it's clear, you know, if uh, 81% of Christians say they're committed to Jesus and their commitment is important to them, but only 22% of them are fully committed to God and living the life Jesus is calling us to, I think there's a disconnect, right? There's a disconnect with what we say and what we do. There's a disconnect with what we say and where our hearts are. And I think part of the problem is we have a mixed up view of living life as a Christian. So, this is where this comes in. I want you to imagine that at the very top of this ladder is Jesus. Um, you imagine him however you want. Um, pick your favorite movie if you know you have that movie vision of Jesus or you know if you want to you know imagine a first century uh, Middle Eastern Jewish man which is what he was, do that. Whatever works best for you, um, imagine that. Um, and at the top of that ladder is, is the full life that Jesus, and he just has his hands open and he's like ready to give it to you. So um, what do we do? This is what we do. I think this is the way it works out for us as Christians. This is the way we kind of practice our Christianity. So um, we get proud of ourselves. We're happy. You know, I'm a Christian now, so I'm going to go to church. You know, I get that one step in, right? I'm going to go to church. Um, you know, I think it's really important to maybe find a smaller, uh, close-knit uh, group of believers that you share your life with. So you join a, uh, what we call a connect group or, um, you know, a small group, share group, whatever you call them um, at different churches. But uh, we call them connect groups here. So you join that and you're like, oh man, just really, really connecting with Jesus. Um, and then, you know, it's Monday morning and you get up in the morning and uh, before the family gets up, you know, the sun hasn't risen yet. You go out on your back porch or wherever you like to sit and you get your cup of coffee and the birds begin to chirp and you open up your Bible and you have your 30-minute devotional and you're just like, man, this is the amazing life. This is, I mean, I'm getting there. This is what Jesus wants from me. But then what happens, right? The kids get up and they're cranky. I know mine are. They're grumpy and you're like, 
yelling at them to put on their shoes and eat their breakfast. And you just feel bad. So you're like, I'm, I'm just not being the Christian I should be. So you take a step down. And then you get in the car and you go off to work and, you know, of course you're running a little bit late. And of course there's, uh, there's an accident on your way to work. Uh, so what do you do? You, you get mad and people are cutting you off and, you know, you're telling them they're number one, but you may not use this finger, uh, you know, right? Um, so, you know, you're feeling bad and you're just like, oh, man, take another step down. I'm just getting farther away from, from Jesus because I can't behave. You get to work and you realize your boss has found out there's been a big mistake at work um, and you kind of were the reason why. Um, but, man, you got to have your job. So what do you do? You tell maybe a little fib. Uh, it wasn't me. You know, it was kind of a team effort. We all screwed up together. And um, you're feeling bad about it. So you take another step down. Um, but then, hey, great. It's Wednesday. So I'm going to come back to church. And um, I'm going to take another step back up. We're back to church. Great. Awesome. Um, and this weekend, I'm going to help with, you know, the community kitchen. That's coming up. I'm going to help with that. You know, we're helping with inner city um, we're going to have a big lunch, and I'm going to go to that and support them, give some money. So, man, feeling really great about that. I'm just working my way up to Jesus. But, you know, hey, you know, something else goes wrong, and you say words you shouldn't. You talk about people behind their back. You make it more about you. Um, you come to church and get mixed up in gossip and other things that aren't about kingdom living, and you take another step down, and um, can you see where I'm going with this? This is what I think a lot of us, the way we practice Christianity. We think that Jesus is at the top of a ladder, and if we just do the right things, we go up. If we do the wrong things, we go down. That's karma, Christianity. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what the Gospels are offering. They're not offering a karma works-based sorry, uh, a works-based effort to get to Jesus. He's offering so much more. So I want to share you, with you some thoughts that um, the Barner Group kind of, some conclusions they made about the statistics I read with you earlier. And I think, man, they are profound. Um, so I'm going to re- share those with you. Um, based on, on their, their findings, this is com- some conclusions. It said, Christians are encouraged to engage in an increasing amount of religious activity. I mean, we're guilty of that here. I mean, we want you to sign up for stuff. We want you to participate. We want you to do this, that, right? I mean, we, uh, you know, we're encouraging you to, to engage in an increasing amount of religious activity. We're asking you to pour yourself into efforts related to some core spiritual dimensions, worship, evangelism, discipleship, stewardship, service, and community. And while all those areas are important, this is, I think, what matters. Um, People often fail to realize that the end game of spiritual development is godly character, not worldly accomplishments. Do you get that? The end game of spiritual development is godly character, not worldly accomplishments. And I think that's maybe the problem. Is we think that these accomplishments, doing these things, are what make us Christian. And we miss out on developing godly character. 
while doing these things are good and they're part of our practice as believers, they are not the goal. Coming to church is not the goal. Helping people is not the goal. The goal is coming into a deeper relationship with God. They said this, they said, Sometimes people get so wrapped up in finishing church programs or producing specific religious results, they lose sight of the purpose of faith, which is to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. It becomes easy to substitute religious activity for intentional and simple engagement with God. American Christians, in particular, that's us, have become known for doing good works and religious exercise rather than simply being friends and imitators of Christ. Wow. I know that steps on my toes. I don't know about you. The purpose of our faith is to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. In Romans, um, Paul writes the book of Romans towards the end of his life. Um, if you don't know, Romans is the last book, uh, uh, letter that we have that Paul wrote. Um, you know, it's the first letter that we have in our, our Bibles, but um, it was the last one that he sent, at least that we have, that he sent out. Um, so Paul has had a lot of time to reflect on what it means to follow Jesus. Paul has had a lot of time to reflect on the good, the bad, the things that have happened to him. I mean, this guy is a guy that has been stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked, thrown in prison a bunch of times. I mean, his life has not been what we would call good. So he has a lot of time that he's been reflecting. And so he's writing to the church in Rome, man, what does it look like to really be a follower of Jesus? Romans is one of my favorite books, and it's so rich with deep theology and so rich with deep thoughts. Um, but I want to read to you um, from Romans chapter 6 this morning, um, starting in verse 3. He says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we, also certain, we, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I read that and it doesn't look like a Christian ladder to me, right? It doesn't look like making sure that I go to church just to make sure that I follow Jesus. That I'm on this pursuit up and down. If I'm good, I go up. If I'm bad, I go down to get to Jesus. This does not look like that to me. This looks like the life, the full life that Jesus was talking about. Not just 
routine and failed expectations. Paul goes on uh, writing this in the, to the church in Ephesus. He, he would write this. He said, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He would go on to say in verse 8 that we are saved by grace. Verse 9, not by works, not by the latter, so that we can, will not boast. We are made alive with Christ. Like I said, Paul, man, Paul is such an amazing example of what that looks like. I mean, he had everything at one point. A Jewish leader um, with power, um, everything that he needed. And what happens to him? You know, he meets Jesus and everything changes. And Jesus offers him something that being the Jew of Jews, as he would call himself, cannot offer. Jesus offers a full life. And it's not at the top of a ladder for him. So, you know, fast forward to us. I mean, what does it look like for us? What does your Christian life look like? What does being a Jesus, being a Jesus person look like for you? I know for some of us, you know, what happens, you know, we wait in the line at Walmart too long, and man, we're no longer Jesus people, right? We're huffing and a puffing under our breath. You know, we don't say it out loud, right? We don't want anybody to, but we think it, Right? Someone talks about us, what do we do? We retaliate. We got to talk about them. Someone slaps us on the cheek, what do we do? We got to slap them back. It looks nothing like the Sermon on the Mount for many of us. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. That does not look like our lives for many of us. We come here to church and we think that being in this room makes us holy. This does not make us holy. So what do we do? What does it all mean? How can it affect you and me? I think if you ask, again, the non-Christian in your life, ask the people around you. If you don't have any non-Christian friends, I would suggest you get some, right? You know, make some friends that aren't the same style of believer as you. Um, get some. Ask them what, what they really think about you. Let them be brutally honest with you. Um, Ask them what they think. Will they say, well, you know, really the only thing different between you and me, Sean, is you get up earlier on Sunday morning than I do. Will they say that? Or will they say there's just something different about you? I can't explain it, but man, you've got joy no matter what happens in your life. You just look different. I can't understand, I can't understand it and I can't explain it, but man, there's just something about you that looks different. You act differently than I do when going through hardships. You say things differently than I do. You certainly talk about people differently than I do. I'm, you know, always talking about people behind their back. But you, man, you're always looking for the good in people. You know, or again, will they say, and that person, they're a grump. They're always got a scowl on their face. They're always complaining about every little thing. They certainly never seem to be happy or have fun. And they sure are angry about a lot of stuff they see on the news. Jesus didn't die for us to look like the world around us and be miserable and grouchy people. Jesus died so that we may have life and have it to the full. 
You know, Christian leaders are, are, are worried and freaked out about people leaving the church. Um, you know, our leadership here, you know, we want to make sure that people stay in church and that our young people as they grow up and they graduate and they move off to college, that they don't abandon church. Um, but my worry is that they're abandoning Jesus because too many of our lives don't look any different than the rest of the world out there. Oh, again, we have to get up earlier on Sunday morning, but the rest of our life doesn't look any different. And maybe you've heard this quote and seen this quote before. Um, I think it's profound for today. It says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So the world is watching us. The people around us are watching us. Are we on a ladder of success and failure to get to Jesus? Or are we part of something different? Because the world is watching everything that, they, that we do. Uh, Paul would say this to the church in Philippi. He says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like, among them like stars in the sky. Are we shining like stars in the sky where people look at us and be like, they have something different that I want to be a part of. They have something different than I do. I'm going to close reading again from Romans chapter 5. This is my favorite passage in all of Scripture. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, church. Jesus isn't at the top of some ladder. Jesus came down from that ladder to be with us. Jesus is not at the top waiting for us to figure it out and get to Him. Emmanuel is God with us. And Jesus has come down to be with us. And I know life is full of ups and downs. Life is full of failed expectations. But my prayer for you is that your faith and your walk with Jesus is not a failed expectation where you think that it's just about doing churchy things and you miss out on a simple, life-changing relationship with Jesus. Because the world is watching us and the world needs to see what it looks like, not to just go to church, but what it looks like to have a life-changing relationship with the Savior. I don't know where you're at this morning and I don't know what your heart is set on. But man, if you were struggling with this up and down ladder of life where, man, it's just got you burdened. It is my prayer this morning that you'd be willing to hand that stuff over to God. To begin to live that full, abundant life that Jesus has promised us. Not trying to climb up and down a ladder where if you get it wrong, man, you've got to start all the way back at square one. And Jesus is with us. If you believe that, live like that. Jesus is amongst us and with us. 
we're going to sing in just a second. And, you know, if you want to begin that relationship with Jesus, you know, we're here to talk with you, to pray with you. You know, we can baptize you this morning and start that journey to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Or maybe, you know, just so much is going on and you, life has just been a series of failed expectations and you don't know what to do next. We'll have some elders who will come up here so that they can pray with you and talk with you. We'll have some in the back. Um, if you need a more private conversation, we have a prayer room in the back corner there. Um, but I don't want you to leave this place without, man, without just being willing to accept the offer of a new life that Jesus is offering us. And it's not at the top of a staircase of just doing the Christian stuff. It's so much more than that. And it's so much more rewarding and fulfilling than that. Let's pray and then we'll stand and sing together. Father, we, we love you so much. And so many of us, we, we go up and down this ladder of our, of our Christian, Christianity so much. And, and it's so hard because we think that that's the way to you. But Father, you have come down from heaven to be with us so that we may have life and have it to the full. And we thank you for that. God, you are good and you are more than we will ever know. Your Holy Spirit is greater than we'll ever understand. And Jesus' love for us is better than anything else in this world. May we be people, when the world looks at us, they see people full of life because of you and only because of you. We pray for those who are in this room and those who cannot be with us this morning that they may know you better and see you more clearly. And we may be people that proclaim your kingdom when we walk out these doors. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing.